Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Good morning, it's great to see you, great to be with you here at 11.15. Um, my name is Zim McCauley, I'm an ordinand here, which means I'm training to, uh, God willing, be a pastor, such vicar, uh, at some point in the near future. Um, as we come to this passage, before we get to it, I just want to say again, as James was telling us, how exciting, how uh, such good news that we're getting going again with Alpha uh, in September. It's great, I don't know if you've done the Alpha course before, but from the 90th of September, Tuesday, we'll be getting going again. And we'll be having a morning alpha, which will be led by Edville, and the evening alpha, which I'm looking forward to leading. And can I just say, as we look at alpha and consider it starting soon, can we be brave and be inviting and considering who we can get along to alpha? Um, I'm going to be trying to ask three friends along and see that they can come. So be, be praying and be, be considering who you can get along to alpha course. And even more, without backing ourselves a bit too much, can I say we've got an amazing lineup of speakers for the speaking live in the evening alpha. And their mug shots should come up there. Uh, great to have these guys speaking. And what a treat. What a treat. We get to have Nikki Gombo, uh, who God has used uh, in many ways to grow alpha to what it is, has kindly agreed to speak to us uh, for the first week, getting us going as we look at our first session on Is There More to Life Than This? So what an opportunity to be asking people along, to, whether it's friends, family, colleagues, uh, neighbours, to get people along to Alpha Course Tuesday the 19th of September. Now I know I'm leading Alpha, so you might think this is just a shameless plug before I preach, uh, but it's not just that, uh, because as we consider inviting people along to Alpha, what is it that we are inviting them to? Jesus lays before us this morning in what has just been read, that we're inviting people to his call, to his call to discipleship. We're inviting people to his call to a life worth living. You know, Jesus says in John chapter 10 that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus shows us this morning what it means to take hold of that life, what it means to respond to his call to a life worth living. So should I pray as we come to God's words? Let's, let's pray. Our Father, we pray that this morning that Jesus would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds to hear what he has to say. 
and that we'll respond to you, Father, in obedience to Jesus' call to this life that is worth living. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to signpost up front where we're going to be heading. Um, as we come to this passage, Jesus is going to say, when it comes to this life worth living, he's going to need our response to two questions. And those questions are this. Firstly, who do you say I am? And second, how will you invest your life? Who do you say I am? How will you invest your life? And so first, who do you say I am? I wonder what you're expecting uh, next year. As we come towards the end of 2023, there's just a few months left, uh, a lot of political analysts and journalists are expecting that 2024 is going to be a year of bumper elections. A lot of them are expecting that we might get a Biden versus Trump rematch. That's if Trump is not in jail. <laughs> and a lot of people are expecting also that actually we might get a snap uh, early general election in the UK. And so 2024 will be the year where we ask, is it going to be Silky Smooth Starmer or Rishi Rich Rushi who will rescue us from breakneck inflation? And you know, as we have these uh, elections coming up, often what happens in the months before is we begin to get these opinion polls, uh, opinion polls by people like YouGov or Ipsos Mori. And these opinion polls want to ask, what do the people think? What do we think about the candidates? And, you know, as we come to Luke chapter 9, there has been an opinion poll running for quite a while now on who is Jesus. The opinion polls have been out. In Luke chapter 7, uh, some weeks back, the crowds asked, who is this who even forgives sins? And then in Luke chapter 8, the disciples asked, who is this? He commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. And in Luke chapter 9, just a few verses earlier, verse 9, even the king, Herod, asks, who then is this? I hear such things about. And now in this chapter, after feeding 5,000 people miraculously, Jesus calls together his disciples and it's like he's asking them, based on everything I've been doing, who do the crowds Say I am. It's like Joe Biden gets his, you know, his campaign team together and he says, what do the people say? And verse 19, they respond like this. They, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets has come back to life. Now we're in a series in Luke's gospel called No One Like Jesus. And I don't know if you, if you see that response of what the crowd says. It's a bit like they're saying, well, a few people like Jesus. I mean, there's Elijah, there's John. And so which one is it? Is there no one like Jesus? Is there a few people like Jesus? You know, it might be that actually for all of us here, we find Jesus a really fascinating person. And there's no doubt about that, right? Perhaps his, his radical life teachings on love and forgiveness have changed your life. And maybe you come here on Sunday and actually you, you, you just find the experience of worship a powerful and refreshing experience Sunday by Sunday. But actually, it might be that for you, this is just what works for you. And actually, you know what? It's, it's okay if my friends or colleagues prefer Buddhism or Bikram yoga. This is what works for me. 
You know, after the, um, the Me Too revelations, uh, Oprah Winfrey uh, said this. She said, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. What she says, it captures the mood of our generation. We are a generation that's been let down by the powerful. And so, you know, just choose your truth because there's no point putting anyone on a pedestal. And you know, Jesus knows our disappointments. He hears that. But he's too kind this morning to let those things get in the way of us seeing who he really is. And so he asks you again. He asks more personally. He asks more intimately. Verse 20. But who do you say I am? What about you? Who do you say I am? Just for one second, would he, he says, turn down the volume on the cultural noise. Can I really compare to anyone else? This is the one who, at his baptism, a voice boomed from heaven and said, this is my son whom I love. This is the one who, who raises the dead, who heals the sick, who forgives sins. Can anyone really compare to Jesus? A Christian theologian called Rebecca McLaughlin put it this way. She says this in her book, Confronting Christianity. She says, time, again, time and again, Jesus, uh, we, time and again, the Gospels record Jesus doing outrageous things that only God can do. He presents himself not as one possible path to God, but as God himself. We may choose to disbelieve him, but he cannot be one truth among many. He has not left us that option. And so who do you say I am, says Jesus? Well, verse 20, Peter replied, God's Messiah. God's Messiah. That is an Old Testament word, which means God's chosen ruler, God's king of kings. It's also a word which has another title in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 7, this person is called the son of man. He's an end times figure who, who is like a son of man. That is, he's a human, but is powerful as God. He's worshipped as God. And Jesus, he comes and he accepts these titles in himself. Yes, he is the Messiah, verse 20. Yes, verse 22, he calls himself the son of man. And he asks, who do you say I am? Why does any of this matter at the end of the day? You see, if Jesus is who he says he is, then the restlessness can stop. The searching can, can end. See, how exhausted it is to try to make our career or our partner or, or our kids be the thing that gives life meaning. St. Augustine, a fourth century theologian, said this, you, God, made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. You see, if Jesus is a real deal, he's calling us as our maker, come in flesh, to the life that we were made for. When we try to look to these other things, it's like taking a compass and trying to, to use a magnet to make the compass point north. And, and it works at first, and that, but then you realize, actually, what I've done is I've enslaved myself because I've got to keep carrying this thing 
And what an exhausting weight to have to keep carrying to, to try to make our partner or our employer be the thing that gives life meaning. When our maker has come in flesh and says, respond to my call. I'm calling you to a life worth living. And so what would it look like to respond to that call? Jesus says it's, it's an investment choice. And he asks us next, how will you invest your life? How will you invest your life? Um, at some point on Christmas Day, my eyes glaze over and I fall asleep on the sofa. And that point is when my brother and my sister's husband start chatting investment. Uh, I, I just don't, it's like a different language. Uh, they've got a bit of a bromance going over words like leverage and liquidity. And, and they sit there all afternoon chatting and I just sleep. I'm like, this is the point I check out. Uh, now, if you work in finance, by the way, great. Enjoy that. Like, you know. um, but even a guy like me who, who can't tell a CFD from DFS, I, even I know that investment is not that complicated. It really just comes down to this. Are the gains greater than the losses? I hope that's right. It's right? Yeah, great. Uh, are the gains greater than the losses? And, you know, as we come to Jesus and his call, that is the question he puts before us. Have a look at how he explains it in verse 25. He says this. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? You know, this is not about money, which you could lose today and make more tomorrow. This is about something irreplaceable. It's about who you are. It's about your soul. It's about yourself. It's about eternity. And so Jesus asks, how will you invest your life? Uh, let's, let's follow his logic. Let's, let's go back. Verse 23. Look how he begins. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You see, Jesus lays before us, look, now that you know that I'm the Messiah, how will you respond to me? How, will you follow me? That is what it means to be a disciple. And he says, it's going to involve two things. It's going to mean denying yourself, and it's going to mean taking up your cross daily. And you see, Jesus He's no dodgy salesman. He's upfront. He's honest. There's going to be risk. There's going to be some loss along the way. And he says it's going to look like this. It's going to look like denying yourself. You know, Destiny's Child, they sang Independent Woman. And Frank Sinatra sang My Way. But Jesus says, to follow me, you're going to have to resist that urge. Resist that desire to put self before others and before God. It's, so coming to Jesus is a bit more like a Copernican revolution. Copernicus is that guy who discovered, wow, the, the, the sun does not revolve around the earth, but the earth revolves around the sun. And to come into Jesus is like saying, I'm going to have to reorient my life around Jesus Christ, my ambitions, my relationships, 
time with family, how I serve at church is going to have to be oriented around Jesus' priorities. And that is going to feel like denying myself as I take myself out of the center and put Jesus there. Jesus says, following me is going to mean taking up your cross daily. You know, in the first century when this was written, uh, the Romans were in charge and, and they had a form of execution called crucifixion. And it was designed to humiliate. Not only would they, would they kill the person on the cross, but before that they would humiliate the person by making them carry their own cross to their crucifixion in public view. And Jesus draws on that picture and says, look, following me will sometimes feel humiliating. And it's going to be in those daily choices. Do I hold on to a grudge? Do I wake up and pray? Do I choose to invite that person to Alpha, even though they might mock me? Now, I know you might be thinking, hang on a second, you said this is a call to a life worth living. (laughs) This sounds like a life worth fleeing. Is it worth it? Well, let's see what Jesus says. Here's how he explains it. He says in verse 24, it is worth it because of this. Verse 24, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Let me tell you about a guy called Ronald Wayne. You might not know this guy. There's no reason you should. Ronald Wayne, he started a company with two friends. And he started this company, and two weeks in, he began to have doubts about whether it was worth his time. You see, his two friends were great. They had loads of big ideas, but they were clueless about business. And besides, he was looking at other startups, and they had fancy offices and warehouse conversions, and they were working out of a garage. And besides, Ron was older than these two other guys, and he had a family to take care of. What's he doing messing around with these guys? And so two weeks in, he packed it in, he sold his 10% share for $800, and went and found something less risky to do. The name of that company was Apple Computers. (laughs) Had Ron held onto his 10% share, it would be worth $200. And $80 billion today. Wow. The gains were greater than the losses. See, you know, Jesus is saying to you and I, we have an advantage of a run. Because he has told us in advance that the gains are greater than the losses. See, he has told us that the person who... The person who rejects the losses of following me says, you will lose your very self. You will lose life itself. But a person who, who embraces the loss of being a disciple, you will save your life. You will gain true life. And now this sounds upside down and back to front. And so how do we know it is true? Well, Jesus shows us himself. Look back with me at verse 22. Jesus says this about himself. Verse 22, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day, and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus shows us himself that the cross is worth the cost. You see, no one was expecting a Messiah who suffers. Even later in this chapter, in verse 45, it says the disciples did not understand this. They did not grasp it. But Jesus says, I am one who came to lose my life to save your life. He's the Messiah who accepts rejection from the religious elites, the leaders who said, we want power, and he wasn't up for that, and so they rejected him. He's the Messiah who, who carries his own cross, literally, and on that cross, he takes the shame and the pain and the judgment that should fall on me and should fall on us for the ways that we've put self before others and before God. And you know, Jesus looks at his life and his journey and he says, worth it, worth it. Worth it to save us from the power of self-destructive sin. Worth it, because his story did not end in shame, but in glory. God the Father would raise him to life as the one who has won us all, as the one who now enters into that kingdom life and is seated at the right hand of God and is forever praised as Lord and Savior. Amen? And this Jesus, he turns to us and he says, follow me. The cross is worth the cost. And so do we believe him? How will you invest your life? And so lastly, he puts it, lastly, he puts it to us again. As we come to a close in these last few verses, he puts the choice before us again. Verse 26, he says this. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory, in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now these are, these are difficult words to receive. These are hard words. But Jesus, Jesus is being kind. He's trying to say to us, look, this is not a game. As we meet on Sunday, this isn't just a hobby. You know, these words, are, they're very significant for me myself because I've kind of experienced this journey. When I was initially approached some years ago and asked, would you consider giving up your engineering job and training in ministry, training in ministry, training to be a pastor? a church leader, I said, no. (laughs) And I kept saying no for two years. And although many people didn't know what was going on inside me, the reason was clear to me, and it was I was afraid of shame. I was afraid of shame before family, uh, letting down their high expectations of me having some high-flying career. I I was afraid of shame before my colleagues, they would think, what are you doing going from high achiever to stacking chairs and teaching Sunday school? And, you know, as, as I was going through this process, um, one, I, I was just reflecting on it. And now, let me be careful. I'm not saying that 
um, anyone here who is not in ministry, not in, not in church leadership, not training to be a pastor, is ashamed of Jesus. That is not what I'm saying, okay? I'm just saying that that was what was going on in my heart and that I knew that I was ashamed of taking up my cross. But I continued to reflect on this. And one afternoon, I was, I was in a cafe in, in a John Lewis, overpriced, flat white in hand, uh, <laughs> drinking that, and reading a, a little book called... Uh, the Cost of Discipleship by a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And this is a guy who, who knows what it means to take up the cross because he was a Christian who resisted the Nazis and paid for his life in a concentration camp. And I was reading his book and it got to a place where he says these words about this very passage. He says this, to endure the cross is not a tragedy It is the suffering which is the fruit of an exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. It is that dying of the old self which is the result of his encounter with Christ. When Christ calls a person, he bids him come and die. And I tell you, as I read this book in that cafe, bam, the Holy Spirit hit me with conviction of what I was doing. And I began to weep. I realize I'm ashamed of taking up my cross. I'm afraid of following Jesus. And that's what it was for me. It might, it might be something different for you this morning. It might be that actually you know for you to follow Jesus seriously, maybe for the first time, might involve a change of lifestyle. And you're afraid of that. It might be that you're someone who's here this morning and for you it's just, you know, to follow Jesus will mean maybe giving up a private habit that you've had going for a while. It might be serving in new ways that you know will require more of you. But that day I, I, I put down this book and there in the cafe I, I surrendered to Jesus. And I said to him, look, I trust you, all right? I trust that if you're raised to life, that if I carry this cross, you know how to bring me through it into more life. And can I say to you, it's, it's been difficult, but actually, there's been so much gain along the way. And that's been my experience. There's been more joy, more adventure, more of God's presence, more of knowing Jesus more intimately than I could have otherwise predicted. And it's not just that. Jesus says, in the end, if you choose the cross, you will see my glory. You will see the glory of the kingdom of God. You see, back then, as Jesus spoke these words, he was, telling, he was speaking to his disciples, and they actually, those ones still standing, before they died, they got to see a glimpse of the glory of God's kingdom as Jesus, later in chapter 9, takes him on a mountain, and there on the mountain, the glory of God covers it. And Jesus is transformed in their eyes, and he's shining as brilliant as the sun. And then Moses and Elijah come up, and it's like, you know, what's going on, Jesus? And... And Jesus says, look, this is where it's headed. If you're following me, if you're following the path of cost of discipleship, be encouraged. If you're someone this morning who is doing this, be encouraged. Because kingdom life is coming for you. Life restored to the way it should be. Life in God's presence. You will shine as brilliant as a thousand suns and will be satisfied with life. And so keep going. Jesus says the gains are greater than the losses. 
And so how will you invest your life? As we finish, uh, listen to these words of C.S. Lewis, which summarizes all we've been hearing. He says this in his book, Mere Christianity. Your real new self will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will come when you're looking for him, Jesus. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Let's pray. Our Father God, we, we've heard from Jesus his call in our lives. He asks us, who do you say I am? And he asks us, how will you invest your life? And so how we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, because we know Jesus has shown us that the cross is worth the cost and that this is a life worth living. Please would you help us to respond with obedience as disciples and so join him in that eternal life with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.